It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. RSB, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Hey, Laban, it's good to be with you, my friend. I've enjoyed having you on my show as well as your wife, and uh, you are definitely bringing the power to do something really good back to where it belongs. And, And there's a lot of things that we need to be doing a lot better. Well, thank you very much. And it was a real honor and thrill to be on your amazing show. The <laughs> we're gonna do the we're gonna do the initials, folks. You don't understand the risk of being uh deplatformed on YouTube is real. So if you want to look me up, I'll spell it out for you eventually. But RSB, my initials, should be able to skate on by the censors, we hope. Uh, I've been deplatformed on a number of outlets, including Spotify and uh, Twitter has banned me, and uh, now even Facebook Live is limiting my ability to go out that way. Thankfully, we have a lot of other outlets, but um, we'll have some links. We'll let you know why they banned me, and uh, you'll be intrigued, and you'll want to know more. That's for sure. Because you don't look like anyone <laughs> that deserves to be banned off anything. And let's let's maybe kick off with that, mm-hmm. uh, Robert. Yeah. Where did this all begin? Where did you all begin yeah, well, I, I think the risk of, of, of band, banning and deplatforming are, is really focused first and foremost within the uh, natural healing realm. When I started in radio in 1999, I'd already been a homeopath for about five, six years at that point. And I realized how controversial it was to speak about ways to get well and stay well that didn't involve any FDA approved pharmaceutical drugs. That would meet with a lot of uh, anger and vitriol on talk radio. You know, if I if I spoke about the cause of disease and how, in fact, vaccines contribute to them and antibiotics are so destructive of the immune system and they're creating uh, lifelong dependence on, on uh, you know, pharmaceutical interventions artificially via altering health from almost the day you're born with injections that are, well, we're not deficient in anything within them. And so that has been a controversial place to be in America, where we have devolved into a monopoly in terms of health care or healing assistance. And that happened primarily aggressively, mostly in 1910 with the Flexner Report. Abraham and Simon Flexner were given a, a grant by the Carnegie and Rockefeller Foundations to go survey all of the medical schools in the early 20th century with the express intent and purposes to wipe out competition to the emerging field of patented petrochemical medicines. That is, you know, coal tar oil-based synthesized medicines approved by the FDA. And and they basically succeeded over the course of the 20th century to uh, eliminate all the medical schools that were coexisting with what we call the allopathic form, homeopathic, 
uh, herbal medicine, eclectic medicine, energy medicine, chiropractic, naturopathic, all of that. And by the middle of the 20th century, the, you know, the, the people that weren't uh, engaged in what we call patent medicine uh, prescriptions were considered quacks was the term that was used. Basically, they would try to denigrate and uh, attack in, in the minds of the people that there was only one real medicine and it was officially sanctioned Rockefeller Carnegie medicine, even though that wasn't the, the term used, it was modern medicine. And we were enamored in the 20th century, Laban, with the advancements in technology and man, we don't even need breast milk. We got this powdered stuff. It's so great. And I was given that in 1966 when I came to this planet and I projectile vomited that stuff out as fast as my mom gave it to me. So I was like, I knew I, now I look back, I was like, yeah, I was a smart kid. I knew better. <laughs> it's like I could read the label before I could read the label. But there's an adaptation for survival that takes place if indeed that's the only thing you're given for survival's sake. Your body will adapt. The cells will adapt and say, hey, is there anything good we can take from this and deal with the garbage stuff in another way later? And that's called adaptation. Hans Selye described it. it if, you, if you learn about, I think in medicine in Europe, they learn about Hans Selye, not so much in America anymore, the, the adaptation syndrome. You adapt to survive. It's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of those who can adapt. And in that case, you become chronically ill, although you're alive, you're not optimal. So I began to have chronic diseases from the time I was born, intestinal disorders, uh, skin conditions, skin rashes, um, respiratory allergies, skin uh, eruptions from allergies to various medicines and various drugs and various foods that were now contaminated with additives, preservatives, colorings, flavorings, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. Later on, GMOs, it was right before GMOs, but uh, heavy metals, of course, are a big part of this as well, whether they come in through the injections or mercury fillings that were commonly given at the time. I think that they still sort of exist, but a lot of dentists have moved away from that. So it was an amazing array of things in my generation that I became the canary in the coal mine of Generation X. And I got all of the chronic diseases that were typical of our elders much later in life. And now with the millennials and post-millennials, it's very common to see pretty much all of them with rare exception to be chronically ill due to toxicological burdens placed on them often before they're even born because of the bodies, the moms and the dads have, and didn't realize how it was impacting. And, you know, the good news here, Laban, is that I've had I've got two kids now, 22 and 17, and they have none of the chronic illnesses and ailments that I had and my wife had as well, because uh, we cleaned up our act. We, we worked very hard to clean our bodies up before we had children, and we've given them an opportunity to live healthy, healthily uh, because we didn't poison them with injections. They've never had an antibiotic drug, and they've eaten organic food since they were born. And I'm not saying they've never had organic junk food. They have. But the point is cleaner versions of everything that I had. And then we see that within one generation, we can correct the mistakes that have happened in the 20th and now the early 21st century. But the mistakes are getting more serious with mRNA alteration of DNA protein synthesis, as you know, with the jabs we cannot name. So th this is a common thread, I think, with people that end up doing kind of what you and I are doing in our own right. We have to go through some major health experience to then become aware and awake of what's going on. So people that are listening, you, you, so you, you two kids, have they experienced any health issues during their lives? Uh, normal acute infections, which is part of growing up, uh, but I didn't have to respond to any of them with toxic poisons or antibiotics. Now, uh, we know uh, what to do as a homeopath. My wife's a doctor of chiropractic. 
And so we knew holistic modalities and substances that we could use. And it's not like I would never resort to them if I felt like whatever that was happening in them was not being remedied, for instance. And we, you know, we had one case where my son had a cuticle infection on his toenails and uh, it was an acute infection. It was red. It was inflamed. There was pus and everything. And we were addressing it locally with uh, the bioactive silver hydrosol and silver gel topically, giving him some immunomodulating substances internally and some homeopathics like heparsulfur sulfur calcarium to address infection, things like that. And we found that even though it looked like it was really getting bad, we were monitoring it and very cautious about it and saw that the indications of it worsening were diminishing and it was beginning to recede. So that was the closest I ever came and my wife ever came to saying, okay, we now have to get one of those antibiotic drugs that I call a form of chemotherapy. But again, this is the rational way to address it. If you see something that all of your holistic modalities can't handle, allopathic medicine is the last resort. It's wartime medicine. In fact, it's battlefield medicine. It's to keep the soldier alive so you can put him back out on the battlefield to shoot and kill again. And we apply that in our Western world as, as, as everything needs that form of medicine, which is like, no, that's a very narrow need and there's a place for it, but it certainly isn't in all of those other places, including when kids or adults have infections. If I haven't had to resort to it in the 22 years of my son's life, the 17 years of my daughter's life, even with dental procedures, my son had uh, uh, wisdom teeth removed and we didn't have to resort to antibiotics for him either. I had the, the tools at my, at my, my disposal and other than the painkiller injections that he had, like the carbocaine, lidocaine, whatever it was they used, uh, we utilized kratom and CBD and uh, white willow. These are things that can manage pain. So he didn't have to resort to even taking an ibuprofen or anything like that. So the options are out there, but we haven't learned about them because we've been dissuaded from them or we have been programmed into believing that there's a pill for every ill, that concept. Every symptom is evidence of a deficiency of a, a toxic poison. And if I talk to kids, which I sometimes will do, even as young as fourth grade, I'll tell them, hey, kids, are you sick? Yeah, I'm sick. What do you do? What do you do when you're sick? You take poison, right, kids? And they're like, no, (laughs) it's like it's such a a basic concept. You're like, how did the adults with medical degrees not get this? (laughs) You know, poison the body back to health. Hello. That doesn't add up. But our culture has been corrupted. Our minds have been programmed in such a weird way that we can't see the clarity with which I now see, which I didn't see for the first 18, 19 years of my life before I gave up on modern medicine, but I didn't transition to homeopathic natural thoughts until I was 24 after having been grounded in spiritual concepts of how life works. And that allowed me to open up to ideas that were foreign to me or that I might've rejected outright because of my programming up until that point. And, and I've seen plenty of uh, posts on social media with how you respond to your kids. You look like you've got a really wonderful relationship. I saw your daughter met um, Muhammad Ali's daughter. Muhammad Ali's daughter, Layla Ali. Layla. We, we, my mom was there. My daughter, my son was there. And, and Layla Ali is an inspiration because she is someone that takes, you know, it doesn't suffer fools. I mean, she says what she believes. And she's all about, you know, growing things organically and not relying on drugs and cleaning up her water. She drinks hydrogen water right from her tap, in fact, and she's doing great, great things. And uh, I was so inspired by her. She became a fan of the show and uh, messaged on Instagram. That's how we connected. And I'm like, wow, this woman really 
has got the spirit of her father, Muhammad Ali, with even more knowledge about health and healing that wasn't available perhaps to Muhammad Ali at the time of his life. And, you know, of course, he had all of the, the trauma from the boxing ring, ended up with Parkinson's. And that's another thing with neurological degradation, things that I help people with. Uh, but it doesn't require uh, or utilize any toxic poisons or drugs to do that. They can at best suppress symptoms temporarily, but they create a whole host of other problems. Yeah. Oh, man, there's so many, <laughs> so many directions I could take this. The um, through. I saw a video, a woman, it was filmed maybe 15 years ago, and she was in Mexico, another part of Mexico on the uh, on the east side, mm-hmm. uh, on the west side of where I am, and she'd been treating, at that point, 80 children that had autism using MMS. Mm-hmm. And I, I was doing some research on her, and as always, the first thing that comes up is, you know, this this quack, this charlatan using, you know, scamming people and all this stuff. And there was like evidence after evidence after evidence. And I just, it's so mind boggling. You talk about, you know, these, how do these doctors not get it? Here's, here's my theory on, on where this is all coming from. I think people inherently believe that there's a lot of good in the world. They believe that people tell the truth about most things. And they don't, especially when it comes to education. Yeah. And especially after it's been compromised, you say something enough, it's, it becomes believed, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's one of, one of the things that's so interesting. I played uh, cricket at a club, which is very well known for people that live um, or have heard lots of the earlier episodes. And I won't say it just out of, out of respect. But I, I, when, when these vaccine mandates came in, Recently, uh, I'd retired. Mm. So, but had I continued to play, I would have been required to get one in order to play. And uh, I just, everyone was on board with it, you know, like, and I was just, these are young guys between like 16 and 23, sort of the main demographic. And, uh, and, and I look like the crazy one putting a post on social media, just asking the question, you know, there was a parachute analogy that I used. And I copped a lot of hate and vitriol for it. And I'm kind of finding uh, that balance of when to say something and when not to. And for people that are listening, Rob, what, what's your advice for putting yourself out there and trying to help or stop people with all this stuff? Well, there's something that I've learned about. I talked about being grounded in spiritual principles. And one of the laws that you learn about is the law of silence. And what is that? That is to know when to speak and know when to remain silent. And that isn't so much of an intellectual engagement or pursuit, you know, like I studied it in a book and it told me this is the circumstance. It's, it's, it's really the reconnection to the communication with the divine, that which has created us all that, you know, divine spirit, however you call it, everybody's got a different name for it, but to, to practice the art of communication with God, spirit, creator, so that you are guided in every moment to know when to speak out. And sometimes you'll get a message to speak out. And you're like, are you sure? This is, I would think this is the time to be silent. And it's like, no, 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 this, you have to speak. And then there are times where you'd think, oh, obviously I'm speaking out here. And then you get the message. No, 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 remain quiet. This would not be good. And so it is a matter of being sensitive to a language that we have been told to ignore. And I, and I mentioned this in terms of modern medicine, because our ultimate communication would be with the cells of self, our own, our own body. And we are told that there is a, a communication system, symptoms that must be not only ignored, they mean must be outright suppressed. 
so that if we have a warning light in the car come up and say check engine you go to a mechanic the mechanic pulls the light out and says hey all good carry on <laughs> and that's how doctors work with their drugs even though you might feel better temporarily you've shut down the most viable and valuable communication tool to tell you hey you're doing it wrong you're giving the body something it doesn't want or need or you're not giving it something that it does need and then you're correcting course at that point so the idea of speaking out is now um, you know, the message coming through me and a lot of people is like, now is not the time to remain silent. Now is the time to speak out. So it's an interesting thing here as well. How do we gauge or litmus the speaking out? Because what are the risks of speaking out on this platform? For instance, if you say my name fully, I've been banned on this platform, you could risk losing the platform. So we're navigating it by not saying my name. We'll spell it out in a little while, but calling me by my initials, RSB. Uh, so it's a matter of, all right, we're strategically saying, you know what, we'd like to use this platform to reach people, but we're not going to compromise what we say, but we're going to be a little smarter about how the algorithms work. So it's sort of like, well, are we compromising our values because we're not saying certain things? Are we saying we're going to utilize these tools that we have in a unique way? So in that way, we do engage our critical thinking and intelligence, but at the same time, Laban, you might get a message, and I know you live your life like this, that says, now is the time to speak out. Do not curtail even one word of what you need to say and you're going to listen because you know it's more valuable than even temporarily being on this platform you know while they while you sneak on by right under the radar so to speak as we do from time to time at, at a certain point we go my gosh they're they're gathering the jews up in the box cars now should i speak now <laughs> you know and, and so that's the you know the level of intensity about what we're witnessing today those that understand and know history very, very smart, intelligent people with high levels of degrees that I usually will make fun of, but not those people using the sense that God gave them to point out. Historically, we're at a point, you know, in the early uh, 1930s, mid 1930s of Germany, where there were no boxcars and, 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 you know, places to gas people yet. But it was all of the lead up to it, the ostracization of, of, of certain elements of our society, certain people, people that question simply ask questions like you did of your fellow cricket players. Hey, have you considered this? And suddenly you find out where all these people are. You know, if you wonder where you would be or where they would be at this time in history, you know, already, unless they wake up really quickly, because it is not only getting serious. We know it's very serious because a new term has entered the vernacular within medicine called sudden adult death syndrome. Sads. It's like, how many headlines do we need to see of young vital top of their uh, fitness level athletes dropping dead on the playing fields and, and people in all walks of life, this is happening. And you're saying, wait a second, that was always around. We, we just coined, oh yeah, we always knew we're better at diagnosing sudden adult death syndrome. This is absurd. And we have to say, what's different about this time than before. And you begin to inevitably come to the same conclusions that all of us had that get deplatformed and banned because it violates the most fundamental, uh, let's say, construct of those that want to rule over us or depopulate us, if that's the case of their agenda. In some cases, that is. So it's a very interesting time and in terms of those who love freedom and believe in freedom of speech. We find that a lot of people that claimed or proclaimed to be defenders of the freedom to speak are now the attack dogs for the establishment that wants to limit speech because it threatens the agenda of those that want to what enslave us, own us, control us, etc. Not a place that in any way resembles a freedom other than an Orwellian definition. 
Yeah, great advice, Robert. And uh, it's funny, you know, the, at, at the time of recordings, a couple of things going on. The, the uh, Georgia Guidestones uh, sounds like there was an explosion there recently. We can talk about that in a minute. But also in the Netherlands, the, the farmers are protesting, which is nowhere in the mainstream media because the government is trying to stop them farming, for lack of a better word. Are you across much of what's going on there? Yeah, I've witnessed that. We see that our buddy Mike Adams from the uh, Natural News, the Health Ranger, talked about in California where they've eliminated the ability of truck drivers to be independent contractors, mandating by law there, uh, unconstitutional as it is, that they have to be employees. So maybe 70% of all the truck drivers that would normally haul the food that is coming out of California or other things through the ports are not going to be able to reach the destination. Inevitably, people will go hungry. Uh, and that's not by accident. You can't say that's by accident because, you know, on one level, we could say these people are morons. On the other level, we go, how do they get to that level by being morons? They know what they're doing and or they sold out to know what they're doing, even though they know it's wrong because they, for the purpose of, of enrichment of some kind or thinking that they're on the inside and they're going to be cared for when all of this goes down, which is just an absurd notion. These people are naive. Uh, they're just, uh, you know, the so-called worker bees that feel like they're they're one of the special ones, and they will be discarded as they eat their own in the next phase of this. If people get hungry enough, uh, so yeah, this is a very harsh reality, and what we're witnessing is not an accident because you can't you can't conceive. I mean, look, I struggle with this. Is everybody so stupid? No, they're programmed. They're programmed, and on some level, people accept the programming, even in spite of what they know to be correct or right or true. And that's where we say people are also living in high-level states of cognitive dissonance, where they don't want to see the incongruity of their very lives as they've manifested, like the doctors that take an oath to do no harm, yet the very first thing they do when they write a prescription for a drug is harm. And so there's a higher suicide rate among all the professions of the world within the medical profession. The dental profession is even higher, but that's primarily because of mercury exposure as well. So we see living in dissonance is not conducive to a long, happy life unless you're heavily medicated. And at that point, that's also going to corrupt your uh, body's intelligence and your ability to communicate with the divine. Well, th that communication with the divine is a really interesting subject for me. I, I don't, and I've spoken about this a lot. Robert, I don't have any particular re religious affiliation, but I'm <laughs> about the most spiritual person I know. I, I'm waiting for that clear thing to tell me what it is. I know without any shadow of any doubt that there is something out there. I know people looking after me that don't exist on this planet or not in the human form at least. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, when I was, when I was partying and doing drugs and gambling and mucking around, doing all this other stuff, my political views were very what you would call now le liberal or left-leaning. Mm -hmm. I remember when the gay marriage vote came in, in Australia and I got really angry at my father at the time for not supporting the bill. I was like, how could you not do that? And then as my health improved and, and I started to do work on myself, my political views shifted to being way more uh, conservative and in many ways, but also mm -hmm liberal and lots of other ones as well. Sure. I'm very live and let live. I want to know the truth so I can make an informed decision, right? That's, that's all I want to know. And uh, and I wonder, I, and I've asked a few people on this, I wondered if it was the fact that what I was eating and doing to my body was causing that calcification of the pineal gland that they talk about. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, yeah, corrupting the free flow of communication with the divine. I, I like to say it that way. I think 
you know, people of all religions and backgrounds other than atheists that might take offense to acknowledging, you know, a spiritual reality to our existence. But where you're at is a very honest place. Uh, you know, it acknowledges these things and says, I don't know. And, and so my journey in, in this lifetime has certainly been one of uh, a spiritual focus. You know, I've always had that. I grew up Jewish. I was bar mitzvahed. I, I learned to, you know, just to sing or chant from the Torah. But yet there was a lot that was missing for me. And I would always ask questions of various religious leaders, whether they be rabbis, priests, ministers, you know, anything. Because I was always curious about how the world really works. How does this existence happen? And so I would de delve deep into reading the various world religions and things to identify things that resonated with me. And then at a certain point, uh, I think it was 19 years of age, I, I found a book that just kind of lit up like lightning bolts striking me constantly with every word that I read. And I learned about uh, this word hue, H-U, which is an ancient and sacred name for God. You know, the, the origin of the term human, hue, man, uh, God, man. It's like the essence of if we are created in the image of God, is it the physical body or is there something that's more essential to us? And I say that is our spiritual essence, our soul. But really to say we have a soul is kind of weird because how do you possess yourself? It's who I am. It's who you are, right? We are soul. I am soul rather than I have that. And we think we're a body that has a soul as opposed to a soul inhabiting a body temporarily. And so I began to work with, because I understand the concept of chanting or singing sacred words, uh, powerful words that had uh, a meaning to open up, if you will, the consciousness to receive the communication more easily. Now, there are people that do it through medicines or drugs even and have amazing, if you might want to call them spiritual experience that are induced by mushrooms or other things. But I, I just never felt like I wanted to have uh, uh, some kind of chemical, whether he was natural to, to do that for me. I thought, is there a way to practice? Cause uh, I was a young athlete, despite my ailments and illnesses, I was a, a swimmer. I was a soccer player, a football player early on soccer, but uh, I had so many inflammatory uh, uh, ailments in my young body that I couldn't do land exercise. So I took up swimming. So I always like to practice my fitness and, and yet overcome a lot of the chronic limitations that I had. And, and so I understood the concept of how physical exercise is so very vitally necessary for a, a healthy physical body. And yes, it impacts emotions and otherwise. And then I was introduced to the concept of spiritually exercising. And so I would utilize this word, Hugh, this ancient sacred name for God, like a, a mantra or, a, you know, a song that I could sing out loud, or I could go into quiet prayerful contemplation with it, Hugh, and just, just sing that word. And it just started opening up the floodgates for spiritual communication for me. And, and it wasn't like it was telling me, uh, uh, you know, one person's religion is better or worse or anything. It was more like opening me up as I've seen it for others, open themselves up to that communication flow, like a vibration that alters like a homeopathic remedy that alters something within the body to do what it's designed by God to do or stop doing what it's not supposed to be doing. And so the powerful aspect of vibrational medicine. Uh, the, the synergy of working with frequencies and, and resonance, all of these things are somewhat known now, but we look at it in terms of uh, a mantra or a song that we can sing or a chant to open us up as well, to change our vibrations, if you will, or our consciousness. And so that's been a big part of my journey to open people up to the healing that they desire. And then maybe they open up to other things that I acknowledge as a healer to say, you know what, my goal and role as a healer, well, whether somebody calls me doctor or not, is to connect people to the source of all healing, which is their divinity, which is that spirit or 
you know, there's a lot of names for it. Like Shakespeare was quoted to have said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. We can get hung up on names and descriptions and definitions, but the experience is what I'm talking about. So I bring this to you, Laban, as a gift as it was to me, as something that you can utilize as a tool in your toolkit to pull that out and try it and go, hey, that's pretty cool. And it's very simple. Doesn't cost me a penny. And it's it's opening me up to spiritual experiences in a very unique, uh, wonderful way, empowering me. Huge. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy. And and it's like one of those things that's just a vibration that you're like, people know about ohm and other things, and those are fine. But this theme seems to go right to the heart of it all and just kind of puts it all together. And it's, like I said, that's been my experience. And I and I say this to people of all faiths or no faith at all. This doesn't belong to any faith. It's really a, a, a resonance or, or a vibration that is just something that is of our very essence. And it begins to open up and break down, of course, the walls and the resistance. A lot of times our mental constructs limit our ability to have spiritual experiences. And we think well, the only way we can get there is through drugs. And I'm like, not really necessary. I mean, if that's part of your journey, that's your journey. But I'm just saying there are ways to open ourselves up and it opens me up to the protection of the divine guidance that you recognize you have, you've experienced it. Maybe we don't have the words or the, how to access it regularly, but that's just something that I, I love to share with people because it's only been uplifting for, for folks that enlivens, whatever it is, they're already believing experience. It makes it better. And some people do shift where they go from that because the guidance is unique to you. But it's a, you know, again, this life is a spiritual journey. We talk about it being spiritual beings, having human experiences as opposed to the opposite way. And we begin to become the heroes of our own journey as opposed to the victims of what happened to us. It's like, well, no, no, what happened for me? I look back at my history of illnesses and ailments. I'm like, darn it, mom and dad, why didn't you know better? No, it wasn't like that. It was like, I'm so grateful for the journey into sickness because it motivated me to live my life's journey. And that is to overcome that and to teach others to do the same or better through my, you know, healing practice or my show that's available two hours a day, six days a week plus, And then, uh, the various lectures I give around the world that to me, it's uplifting to me to do that. It's like cathartic for me to just let loose on this stuff. Yeah. It's wonderful advice, Rob. And I appreciate that a lot. And I'm grateful for sharing. Yeah. It's a, it's a perspective that I haven't really explored a lot. And, uh, I've been doing, so much work on the spiritual component because it's been so beneficial. And I'm very blessed to have had lots of those uh, drug-like experiences just through extreme exercise. I've spoken about the yeah. ultra-distance running and stuff and <laughs> certainly experienced yeah. non-drug-related hallucinations when I've been running, but I think that just happens when you run for, for 24 hours nonstop. Yes. Uh, what, what's something that you've learned recently that – completely flipped what you thought about that on its head for your life up until that point. Gosh, I don't know recently. I mean, or in your life, in your life. Then. Yeah. I mean, cause the depths of, of, of the things that we've seen in the last COVID crazy two and a half years is certainly stunning to, I guess the witness, how, how vulnerable people are to the programming. Right. And, and, and then people that we thought were awake in a positive way, not hashtag woke, but awake in a real way that you realize, my gosh, they, they're living in tremendous fear. And it, it only came out during the COVID pro propaganda campaign. But I would say that in my life, one of the biggest and empow most empowering things about looking at the life we lead and that fear and where it, where it sources is our fear of germs, this idea that germs cause disease. And this is a 
a powerful uh, uh, trap or prison that is placed on our consciousness, because then we always live in fear of catching something, something around the corner. You walk around the corner and there's a germ. It jumps on you or somebody breathes or sneezes or coughs and wheezes. And you, you're a victim of somebody else in that case. And they played that to a T with perfection in the COVID crazy years. We'd shut down. We'd lock down. We stopped doing things that humans need to do to be alive and well, including dance and sing and praise and worship and love one another. And now suddenly we were isolated and only listening to fear propaganda. So I think that one of the biggest transitions in my life is to recognize that germs are not the cause of disease. At best, you can say that the result of disease and that we have everything within our body that should and could kill us. Why doesn't it? And, and you begin to ask those questions. You say, well, that yeah, that doesn't make sense about the catching disease thing. We have it all in us. All that stuff is like, oh, that's scary, right? There's more germs in us than we have cells in our body. And you begin to say, well, that, then how does the germ theory work? I thought we're, we're catching stuff and we're, we're getting sick. It's like, no. Then you learn about the law of the terrain, I call it, as Antoine Béchamp, Claude Bernard, and others had proposed hundreds of years ago had we embraced that concept that the terrain the milieu the environment determines health or disease and not the pathogen and that these pathogens are the result of an imbalanced terrain or environment due to toxicity and deficiency etc even on an emotional and spiritual level then suddenly you see that you're not a victim of anything it's about your consciousness your state of consciousness what you believe becomes reality. And if you live in fear, it will manifest. And you know, that powerful co-creation ability we have, whether you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're right. And so we see that in terms of medicine and the dominant paradigm is a fear-based victim consciousness that believes that we are not in control of our health in any way, shape or form. And we have to rely on magic injections from the day we're born in order to survive. Like how has humanity existed for thousands of years and many more than that before recorded history, if you will, without these magic injections, much less magic drugs and pills, et cetera. And so we begin to live life in a more vitalistic view where we believe that the, the, the very power and essence of our life is non-material. And, and it also strengthens us when that flow is so powerful and strong through us that nothing can harm us. And that's not to say we dive irresponsibly into vats of sewage and say, look how healthy I am. I mean, there's common sense involved there, but the recognition of our resilience and resistance to succumbing to the severity of those circumstances, or even if we do temporarily, we have the ability to bounce back because we have that vital force flowing through us. So we have a, a viewpoint of the vital force or a, uh, a non-material, non-chemical reductionist view, where it looks at every disease as the lack of a you know drug or something like that. But we look at the flow and that in original naturopathy and homeopathy in a chiropractic and all of these other uh, uh, viewpoints that are vitalistic, uh, that embrace that vital force or flow or spiritual energy that comes in. And that's the essence of life itself. And everything else is secondary to that it doesn't mean ignore the basic needs of a physical body, but to recognize the power is in much more of the non-material realities of existence than it is in our re reductionist view that makes us uh, a victim of, you know, like we're hiding under a rock afraid. And if we come out, we're going to get sick because somebody's going to breathe on us, et cetera. So I think that that was a big, big, big shift for me. And I, and I liken it to also a spiritual awakening as well from victim to hero, if you will, to somebody that co-creates their life as opposed to it being created by others. Because if we give up our powers of co-creation, there will be others that will be happy to take it on. Lord knows why I got enough problems of my own. Why would I want to take on anybody else's? But this is the distraction from our own deficiencies, if you will.
that we say, oh, well, I'll focus elsewhere and then we'll dominate the planet. And we'll, you know, these are the people, the megalomaniacs running the world are attempting to do so. They are so devoid of that spiritual flow or they've really taken on a demonic kind of negative energy that helps their egos believe that they are more powerful than the creator, if you will, God, or they don't believe in it. They become atheists or they become Luciferians in that sense. So there's a lot to unpack in that question, Laban, and I appreciate it too. And hopefully this makes some sense for folks. Yeah, it's a, uh, I didn't realize how loaded the question was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we don't rehearse these questions. One of the, uh, <laughs> oh my God, here's something a bit more lighthearted. Okay. What, what are your five top tips for people that are saying, Robert, what, like you've got this amazing uh, PhD, you've got all this amazing experience, you've interviewed some of the most unbelievable people on the planet who will go down in history, many of them as like he- heroes that will be recognised long after they're gone. What, what's five pieces of advice you'd give people now to help them deal mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually and, and uh, whatever else is left with what's going on? Well, the concept of, of of cleanliness is interesting. It doesn't mean a, a sterile environment, but it means an acknowledgement, let's say, of that balance of the terrain I just talked about. And so one of the key concepts for me on my journey back to health was when I met the homeopathic doctor who had become my mentor for 10 years and, and helped me to overcome all of the 24 years of chronic ailments and illnesses. He says, dude, your liver's toxic. Now, he didn't say, dude, he was Belgian. I didn't know. I could hardly explain, understand his English at the time. Uh, but he said, your liver is congested. It's toxic. You need to detoxify that liver, which also means simultaneously, you need to stop putting poison into your body. The idea, again, coming back to talking to kids about, hey, kids, you're sick. You want to get better here? Take some poison. You're like, what, what, what are we doing? So the basic concept is, do you, do you love yourself enough or question? Do you love yourself enough to give yourself the best? Are you, do you feel worthy of it? Because a lot of people, when I say you need to eat cleaner food, they're like, well, it's organic. It's expensive. It's inconvenient. It's like, how, how, are you going to tell me you can't afford organic food? Oh yeah, I can't afford it. I'm like the, the essence of the physical health that you are saying you want, and you won't do the basic thing is to put clean food. Food used to be called food. Now we have to call it organic. <laughs> it's like, and it's more expensive than the stuff they had the toxic poison to. It was like, Oh, there's something wrong with this picture. So it's a question of self-worth worthiness. The, I can't fill in the blank. The, I can't afford it is a statement of, I am not worthy of the healing that I desire. And this was a big, big, big lesson for me. And when I started as a, a poor, just after college student, not a few years removed from college to say, you have to eat organic. And back then there wasn't as much organic. It certainly wasn't in mainstream supermarkets the way it is today. If you go to a health food store, you'd find some wilted lettuce and some bean sprouts and tofu. You know, So it was a whole different world at that point. But I said, oh my gosh, this makes sense to me. I knew what the liver did. I learned about that. I was a science guy. You know, I studied microbiology at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I learned this stuff. Yet all of these things that we learn, even if you go into medicine, they ignore when they get into the remedy section or or the food section. Oh, the yeah, it doesn't, you don't need to eat organic. Yeah, I know the pesticides, they're not great, but they're they're only there parts per million. What are you what are you worried about? It's a little bit. I'm like, do you learn microbiology and understand that the things in your body, the chemicals, if you want to go there, hormones, enzymes, these things operate at parts per billion and beyond. And you're telling me parts per million of toxic synthetic poisons are not harmful to the very life-sustaining functions of the cell. I'm like, are you 
what that's why I call it a medical degree <laughs> because, <laughs> because they're not using the sense God gave. They got all these smarts and they're like, let me abandon the basics. And, and so I began to, you know, to eat organically, even though it was quote unquote more expensive. I found that at the end of every month, I had just as much money or more left over. Part of it, of course, is now you weren't eating out at every restaurant, spending more money than you need to. So there's some mathematical equations that make sense, but some of it was a spiritual equation that I began to think, you know, if I want to get well and I got to do that, am I worthy of believing that God would want me or the creator would want me to have the best to sustain my life, to be here for whatever reason I'm here as I'm learning. And so part of, again, that, that advice is believe yourself worthy enough to do that, which you learn is required to sustain that healthy life or regain it. If you've never had it, like I never had it. And so that's a big step, as you know, Laban, talking about the concept of self-worthiness, and especially with all the abuse that is heaped on us in life, it just happens, emotional, physical, any number of various abuses that occur, and the program that says you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And so when you say, I can't afford it, it's just basically reinforcing this idea is that I'm not worth that which would sustain the health that I say I desire. So I'll just start with number one right there and see if we want to interact on that. Cause it's a pretty big one. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that's a brilliant one to, to let people ruminate on. I, I don't want to give them too much because I, what, I, what I'm experiencing is uh, I mean, you and I have spent tens of thousands of hours, like going through a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Some people have never even looked at one thing. So I don't want to bombard people too much. I think the finding solace in in the faith component has been a real liberating thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, relying, like now that I'm healthy, relying on my intuition and it being proven right time and time again yeah. is a really great blessing. And continuing to surround myself with people that are open-minded to the fact that they might be wrong. And I, I'm, I'm plenty of times have said, you know what, I'm, this is what I said and what I thought and now that's changed or whatever, and I will continue mm-hmm. to do that because I think we need the truth. There's the amount of lies, just bare-faced lies that are happening in the world is just is mm-hmm. killing. It's killing me at times, mm-hmm. and it's just like there's something really liberating about telling the truth. What is it about telling the truth for you, Rob, that's been so beneficial well, it's, it, the truth ha- vibrates differently. Authenticity vibrates differently. That's what I've noticed about, you know, doing my broadcast for, you know, now my 23rd year. What has drawn people in is not pharmaceutical money to buy my way or PR agencies to buy my way into a- a- avenues. It's been quite organic in that people hear it. They may not understand it, as you pointed out. And that's very kind of you to do so as well, because uh, it, I always try to remember. It's like, oh, I remember when I didn't know any of this stuff, and here I spout off things regularly. My producer, Superman, goes, "Yo, dude, you think everybody knows that? <laughs> yeah, don't they? No. Oh, yeah, right. I, I didn't know that before. So that truth that resonated for me, that drove me to learn things that I didn't learn in traditional, all the way up through university level education. I had to unlearn most of it to relearn and do the things that I do today." So that truth that resonates, it is a vibration as well, you know, because people can propagandize and twist the truth very easily and simply and have partial truths and half truths, semi-truths or omit by not saying what is. there's so many ways that we can manipulate it. So we have to have coming back to that internal, uh, if it's not, if it's a compass, it's a truth detector or some would say a BS detector. 
you talked about intuition. That's something that we've been, if not denied, we've been suppressed in utilizing the mother's intuition, but men, you have it too. That gut feeling when something is just not right about what we're being told, but it's coming from an authority or an authoritarian. And so we, we leave our intuition aside and say, well, but they're smarter because they have a degree. And I'm like, oh, no, that's the, that's the trap. That's the mental trap where you worship the mind and the ego as opposed to using it as a tool to get through life. But otherwise, coming back to that check-in. And if you're not sure, you know, that's another example of where I'd go back. All right, let me go into quiet, prayerful contemplation. Let me sing the hue and just get quiet and get the message that is drowned out by all the noise. That is all, also drowned out by our fear. When a doctor or some authority says, well, if you don't do this, you're going to die, right? And this is all of the people that are fighting you to say, how dare you ask that question about the jab? Because they're operating in such fear. I don't mean that they're malicious. I don't believe that they are, but yet they're operating in fear. And when, let's say, a, a trapped animal that's wounded is cornered, it's like, that's a dangerous place to be around that animal. They don't, whether they mean to or not, the point is they're not thinking with the higher powers of cognition. They're now in the animal brain scenario, kind of like in a hypoglycemic fit. The brain is not, it's starving of, of oxygen and nutrition and things. And now suddenly you're operating on survival and in survival, there's no right or wrong. There's no morality. It's just like, what do I need to live? And that's where, you know, we're approaching, if you will, what's known as a zombie apocalypse where there is no uh, right and wrong. It's only about what I can get to survive. And that's a, that's a scary, uh, admittedly, place to be. I don't want to see society there, although there's evidence that it already exists in many places. Uh, and so uh, coming back again to that inner guidance that we want to tap into that can help us navigate even the most impossible journeys or impossible scenarios where it's like, this is like it would take a brilliant movie writer to write your way out of this. That stuff can happen in real life and does happen in real life when you are so connected to the source of all creation that you listen in a moment, you know, to take a step to the left instead of the right without thinking. It's just that inner guidance that has become you, that intuition that becomes you. And it overwhelms even the most authoritative or authoritarian figures on the planet where you'll stand and say, you wear no clothes and you're butt ugly right? The emperor wears no clothes at that point. I want to share something personal that I don't think that I've shared anywhere publicly before, Robert. And it's, it's this, at times, a level of rage that wells up inside me that for the people that have rejected the knowledge that I've shared and not only just rejected it, but, but turned it around and thrown it back in my face, that I have moments where I wish them harm. I like I I want to see them suffer from their choices. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, the the demons that we all have, right? And I don't think many people would have the courage to to say this out loud. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to know, do, do you know what I'm talking about? And if you do, do you have any ideas or advice because I know mm-hmm. I'm not the only one that thinks about this. No, and I, I absolutely acknowledge that feeling. I mean, there's uh, a lot of anger that it resides, you know, from our experiences of injustice that we see occurring. And, you know, you give people the opportunity to break free of those things and they reject it. Not only that, they spit on you for actually even suggesting it. And it, it's part of our journey and process coming back also to the law of silence, you know, sensing when a soul is open and conscious or ready to make that next leap versus needing the experience that we've already been through. 
and it's been so brutal for us. We're like, how could they want to go through that? And they, they're unaware of it or otherwise need the experience to indelibly mark it into their very DNA so that they don't have to make the same mistake again and again, and again. Now we have to step back and go, all right, what is this place all about? What is creation all about? As much as I want to create a world that's harmonious and peaceful, is that the design of this planetary existence as we see the history of mankind being fraught with uh, you know, danger and destruction and anger and animosity and slavery and abuse and horrible things that we wake up to and we're so upset by it, the injustice of it all that we want to lash out in anger and just take vengeance on it all. And I think that speaking out like you do on that, and occasionally I, you know, on my show, I'm like, dude, I'm angry. I'm going to tell my audience I'm angry. I'm saying it while I also know it's like a split consciousness that the lower bodies, the emotional body is not intelligent per se. It just acts or reacts, but there's a point where we can detach from it, rise above it, or go deeper than it to allow it to percolate through us and then let it go. And I would say, you know, I turn it over when that happens to the divine, to God, to the spirit, whatever you want to say, so that it can be dissipated in a healthful way to me and not harmful to anybody else. As much as we may be righteous in our anger, if you will, or want to lash out violently, I would say in defense of life, liberty, and property, which is, I think, the only appropriate place where we can say, let's engage in violence, not because we want to harm, but we want to protect from harm, or we want to preserve life. And that's a kind of a, uh, it's an advanced understanding of it's not always appropriate to be peaceful. And that's a, you know, that's like the concept of the way of the peaceful warrior. I don't know if you ever read that kind of uh, book, but there are points in time where uh, life demands that we stand up and defend life, which means we have to engage or at least show that we are willing to engage. And in those cases, then those people who would engage in violence are suddenly called you know, out and they get the message. It's like, if I do this, it's not going to be a pushover scenario. So our ability to defend ourselves is very vitally important to protect and defend against the need to use violence, interestingly enough. Uh, so the idea of or the feeling of the sensation that you've described is something I think we all have somewhere in us because of the various experience we've had in this lifetime or previous ones. And yet, what do we do? Do we repeat the pattern and then engage in the same destructive things that we were victims of? And or do we say, you know, good Lord, help me, please. I feel this. I don't know what to do. With this is there a way to dissipate it without causing harm to another. I don't want to keep the cycle going. And I think that comes to the concept of surrender. It's funny. I have this shirt on never give up. You know, it says never give up, never surrender. I remember that funny movie. I, I think they had about that, but the idea of surrender and giving up is different from giving up before you've achieved your goal. It's a matter of recognizing there are certain points where you don't have control over the others, right? Those souls who have free will as well. And that surrender of, I love them. I want to help them. I want to carry them across the street and you find out as they're beating you over the head while you're doing it, that they never wanted to go across the street. You knew it was better, but they didn't want to. It's like you violated their freedom now. And so that's a mature, a spiritual maturation process that we get to that says, I am not giving up because I'm giving up. I'm, I'm weak and tired. I can't do it or I don't want to do it. It's a recognition of the, the appropriate control over our lives versus the freedom for others to control their life. Now, if they start breaking into my life and violating, that's, that's that maturation, understanding the difference there. So it's a real challenge, but when we're not sure, then it's about practicing the presence of the divine and turning it over to that, which can handle it much better than my ego self can figure it out. 
God, please take this burden. I'm willing to do whatever, you know, but I don't know what to do here. And you kind of hand it off or you put it in, you know, do a, a, an imaginary exercise where you're maybe contemplating prayerfully by a beautiful river and you get to take that burden that you feel that anger you feel and put it in that river and watch it just float away and dissipate. And you do feel physically different almost instantaneously when you do these exercises. And it doesn't mean that those things don't still exist in us. As long as we have physical bodies and we're here, we are subject to falling off the wagon, so to speak. But practicing that presence gives us the strength to navigate even when those times get dark and rough and tough and we won't repeat the same patterns anymore but it's not about being cocky and egoistic about it it's about being humble and 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 grateful for the opportunity to be challenged and yet i'm okay it didn't it didn't impact me affect me the way it used to so these are the things i try to do in my life and acknowledging a very difficult thing to acknowledge that you've done laban well, Matt, I really appreciate that, and it's really great advice. And, uh, I mean, inevitably, I've been pretty good at not acting on any of this stuff and certainly getting off yeah. <laughs> some social media platforms yeah. for an extended period of time makes a big difference. Uh, what I would say is look out anyone that pushes over my boundary line. Look out anyone yeah. that decides to take the law into their own hands and come up against someone who is willing to lose their life for what they believe in. Because I kind of feel like um, Liam Neeson and Taken. It's like, you know, like yeah, people people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will find out, not just me, but with, with people that are like in this, in this field that you and I are in and, and uh, want the truth to be made available. I don't know about you, Robert, but I, that, that's a legitimate statement. I will fight. Mm-hmm. Till, till no. I'm dead for this. And mm-hmm. that makes me a very dangerous person to come up yeah. against. Um, I'm all for peace, love, and, and uh, mm-hmm. consciousness. And I'm doing, I'm reading a book by Dr. David Hawkins. Uh, he wrote a book, Power Versus Force. This is his other one. I think it's called Let, Let Go mm-hmm. or Letting Go. Yeah. And uh, I'm sort of trying to ascend the level of consciousness till, till enlightenment. And I'm about yeah. 200 is my score at the moment. For people that know what I'm talking about, it's at courage, which when you go around calling yourself the world's best courage coach, it's very serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show, man. We haven't even touched any of this stuff. But for the meantime, where can people find you? Well, first and foremost, I'm blessed to know you, Laban. I'm so grateful that you've come into my life. And I've certainly enjoyed you and your wife being on my show. And what you're doing is is so very inspiring. And the the courage, if you will, to be honest about your experience. And you know, I was talking with my wife about that as well on on uh, you know, feeling great at, at, at my age, considering how ill I was as a young person, yet being very open and honest about when I don't feel good or if I'm suffering from something with the, with the folks that are you know, looking to me, because there are a lot of health so-called gurus that pretend there's nothing that ever happens to them bad. And like, then they suddenly die and you're like, you're left to explain what the heck happened there. And, and I think that honesty is so very important and integrity is so very important and that authenticity that people are craving and striving for. And that's, you know, that's, I think why we're banned and deplatformed and censored often because authenticity can break up the, the mind control, if you will, and your willingness to stand on principle and fight to the death. We need more of that because in that sense, when that happens, these overlords, these dark overlords that are trying to reduce population, all the things that they're doing make us sick and dependent, weak and enslaved. 
they cannot achieve their goals. They can't even attempt. They, they try to approach it. It's like, oh, no, no, this person's willing to fight to the death. They're cowards in reality, those people. Yeah. The moment they're confronted with their own mortality and they're willing, it's like, oh, you're going to fight back. Uh, I think I'll go elsewhere. You'll find out that they are not the big baddies you thought they were. And so if you guys and gals want to join me on my journey and it's open to everybody, I won't say the name of my show, but my initials RSB. If you text RSB to 22828, text RSB to 22828, you will find out about my show. You'll get, you know, get on the email list and we'll get you plugged into all this empowering information. And you go to, I'll spell it because I don't think we'll get banned by saying it, R-O-B-E-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-B-E-L-L.com. I'm on two hours plus a day, six days a week. I'd love to have you join me on this journey. And Laban, you're welcome anytime, as is your wife. We've had such great discussions so far, and it's just beginning. Fantastic. And I know there's some people listening going, thank God. <laughs> I'm so interested to know who it is that he's, that he's talking to today. Robert, uh, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Well, just an acknowledgement like I uh, ha- had to come to being you know, ill for my young life to where I am empowered and empower people in their own way to reconnect to the source of all healing. And I say this at the end of every hour of my show, if I remember most of the times I do that, the power to heal is yours. It's theirs. It's mine. It's ours. And that is an important distinction because it shifted me from victim consciousness being, you know, the result, the suffering under doctor's care that even though they meant well, but they weren't doing what was really needed for me to heal. And so recognizing that that power is yours, if you recognize it and then practice it, and that's what we talked about a bit, the practicing of the presence of the divine in our lives, communication, et cetera. So whatever way you get there, I'm with you. I want to support you in your efforts and whatever you take from this little discussion that enlivens, enriches your life, brings more love into your life. I mean, that for me makes my breathing easier. And so again, thank you for inviting me to be with you, Laban. And uh, we can do it again. You just say the word, I'll be with you. And I look forward to seeing you one day in person at some event somewhere, we can give you a big hug. So an appreciation of all that you're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, dot com. There you go. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available and not only just bring them on but to develop relationships with them that build into know like and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire you'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience go to podcastingheroes.com it's p-o-d-c-a-s-t-i-n-g-h-e-r-o-e-s.com